Hello, my friends, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important in our lives today. I'm your local mythologist, Catherine Savela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. Well, I've been thinking about creation stories a lot lately, and you know, they're very ubiquitous mythologies. Everybody has a creation story mythology. Everyone. Because when we get into the realm of cosmology, when we start talking about how the universe got created, we are in prime mythological territory. Because we're dealing ultimately with the unknown. It's very true that we have figured a lot out. We have a lot of scientific knowledge that we didn't have at earlier times. And it's also true that we can believe in something. Especially if we're Christians or Muslims or a member of any number of religious traditions that have a particular story about how the world was created. But the fact remains that all of these are theories about events that we can only guess at. And we basically pick the version, whether it be a religion or a philosophy or a scientific theory, that we're the most comfortable with. Now, I'm not saying that these mythologies don't contain truth. They do contain truth. But They're not the truth. And I hope you catch my drift there about the difference. Creation mythologies describe a mystery, which I think is a really delicious and beautiful aspect of human life. That we can be conscious of the existence of something more, of the beyond, the divine. We have lots of different words for it. That we can be conscious of that and live within it, and not be able to reduce it and bring it down to our human terms. Because let's face it, at the human level, no matter what we accomplish, we're relatively small in the great scheme of things. Our creation mythologies determine our worldview, where we came from, how we think the world was created, those notions influence our ideas then about the meaning of life, about the significance of human beings, and how we should behave towards each other. And despite the fact that people have been debating and investigating these questions for centuries, for millennia even, I mean really, it could have started with the earliest cave paintings, we don't know. We can certainly tell that from our written histories, which go back to 3,000 years before the birth of Christ, that people were debating these questions. Despite all of this, all of these eons of contemplation, there is still a lot of disagreement. A lot of disagreement about human nature, what it means to be here, and how we should treat each other. And our news is full of examples of this. In fact, you can trace the vast majority of our political disagreements and cultural divides to differences in our creation mythologies. 
And that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important that we understand that that's what they are, mythologies. That we understand that as a reality and as a useful concept rather than a threat to some sort of closely held truth that we might have. Now, I am going to tell you a story today and not just speechify for my whole half an hour. Although, you know, recent events have really, as I say, put this into my mind that we need to grapple with the seriousness and the significant power that our mythologies have. So I am going to tell you a story, (laughs) I promise. Um, But one more idea along this line, first of all. We are handed a lot of ideas and values from our culture, from the time and place of our birth. And one of our tasks is to become conscious of this inheritance, to ask questions, and to reflect. We do have some control over the stories that we inhabit. And by that I mean the mythologies that determine the contours of our world and of our lives. So today I want to tell you a Hopi creation story about Grandmother Spider. I think that it's a very good story to live in. I'm grateful that I can tell it and to do so with respect to the many tellers and many sacred moments who have shared it with people before me. So now I invite you to sit back, relax, and see where this story takes you. This is my variation of the story of Grandmother Spider. In the very beginning, before there was time, there was Spider Woman. She spun two silver strands from the doorway at the top of her head. One connected east to west. The other connected north to south. In this way, she made the four corners of the earth with herself at the center. Spider Woman sent her breath into this space. The sun appeared, followed by the moon and stars, and light pierced the darkness of the universe for the first time. When the sun appeared, Tawe, god of the sun, also came into being to wield its life-giving powers. Between them, Spider-Woman and Tawe held all of the mysteries and powers of above and below. The universe was beautiful, vast, and glittering, but it was also barren. This isn't good, said Spider-Woman. There must be warmth and color and dancing. So Spider-Woman and Tawe created other gods to share their creation labors. Tawe split himself in two, and life germ god came into being. Spider-Woman split herself into two, and the goddess Hard Substances Woman came into being. These new beings carried the powers of rain and soft flesh and blood and moist dirt, the turquoise and the red rock, the white shell and the yellow stone, that is, the matter and the mulch, that make up the living world. Now Spider-Woman and Tawe had a great thought, a mighty thought, the thought of the earth. They imagined putting this earth 
in between the above and the below. At that time, the in-between was only endless, shining waters. Spider-Woman and Tawe sat side by side at the edge of the water. They swayed together, and they began to sing. Out of their mingled breath came the first song. The magic of the first song was flowing waters, and rushing winds, whoosh, whoosh, and the rhythm of things coming together and moving apart. Spider-Woman and Tawe sang this song, and the earth was born. The new earth was very, very beautiful. Spider-Woman and Tawe saw purple mountains, roaring rivers, and golden deserts. This beauty stirred their imagination. Many strange thoughts are forming in my mind, Tawe said. I see birds flying in the air above the earth. I see fish swimming in the waters, Spider-Woman replied. I see deer and rabbits, wolves and foxes. I see snakes curled up in the warm rocks. They imagined all of the plants and creatures of the earth. What they envisioned in the eye of the mind, Spider-Woman fashioned out of colored clay, red, yellow, white, and black. She covered the clay figures with a white blanket woven from the breath and light of Tawe. The two sang over the creatures, and they began to breathe and to move. The creatures came to life. Now Spider Woman said to Tawe, Let us make creatures like ourselves to join the others and enjoy the earth. Tawe thought then of man and woman. And again, Spider Woman fashioned each thought into form using colored clay red, yellow, white, and black. She covered the creatures with the white blanket woven from the breath and the light of Tawe. The two sang over the human beings, but they did not breathe. The human beings didn't move. They didn't stir. This isn't good, said Tawe. Spider-Woman gathered the figures up and cradled them in her arms. She held them close and warmed them with her body and her breath, and Tawe bent his glowing eyes upon them. Now they sang the magic song of life, and the human beings began to breathe and move. They came to life. The world is complete! sang Spider-Woman, and Tawe agreed. I will ride across the sky each day and shed my light and warmth upon them all, he sang, and each will multiply. Tawe took his place high in the sky above. It was now time for Spider-Woman to tell the people how to live. The women of the clan 
will build the house, Spider-Woman said. She will make the jars and the baskets. She will grind the grain. The family name will descend through her. The man will build kivas and pay homage to the gods. He will fashion weapons and provide his family with game. Take care of each other, my children, she said to the humans. Be good to each other and all will be well. If you need help, call me, Kokyawuti, Grandmother Spider, and I will come. The new people gazed with wide eyes at Spider Woman and her shining beauty. She smiled at them and touched the human beings. To each she attached a thread of her web, spun from the doorway at the top of her head. Then she raised her hands and twirled in the sand. Suddenly, she was gone. This world was very beautiful. But as people lived and moved about, problems developed and needs arose. Whenever a new ceremony has been required, Grandmother Spider has appeared to teach the people new songs, and prayers. Even when the people forget the meaning of life and disregard the web that connects us all, and this has happened, we are told, several times, Grandmother Spider comes to guide the good-hearted into the next world. In times of need, she emerges from a small, small hole in the ground or appears overhead hanging from a slender thread. Some say that our world hangs by this thread. A lovely story, don't you think? And I risk diminishing the images and the poetry, I think, by suggesting (laughs) ways for us to analyze or look at this story, but that's a risk we're going to have to take because our quest here together is reflection as well as entertainment. So the first thing that I notice about this story is that it begins, like many other creation stories, with establishment of order and the creation of separate realms of above and below. And we've got the earth here in the middle. And isn't that the way that it is? We are so in the middle, especially as human beings on this earth. And notice, too, that the orders established at the beginning on the cosmic level, and then Grandmother Spider does something similar later on when she talks to the human beings and tells them how to live. She organizes them into discrete realms, the tasks of the female and the tasks of the male. And I imagine, anyway, that these two realms, the realm of the body and the material life and the realm of the spiritual life, are awarded equal weight in this system. Which then, of course, takes me to one of the obvious differences between this story and creation stories that most of us around here now 
which are basically genesis from Christianity or, or science. And that is that the moving principle here is feminine. We have grandmother spider. And so right away we're in the view, in a view of creation that is more embodied and potentially closer to birthing. Uh, but she's breathing. We have the breath of life. And by breathing into the, the space between these realms, she facilitates the appearance of the second vital force, the sun, or warmth. And here we have the introduction of the masculine. And from there on out, it's a joint project between these two. Okay, so all of that's obvious, and how that may vary from the stories that we are more familiar with is obvious. But what I really love about this is that we're talking about a spider. We're talking about something small. So just, I invite you to just take a moment and, you know, take that in, like contrast that notion of creation, especially the notion of creation of something as huge and magnificent and complex as the universe, as the cosmos, being associated with something very small, the image of something that in fact we see all around us, when and when we, when we actually notice it. Because spiders fall into that category of uh, creatures that populate our, our homes and our environments by the thousands that we don't even bother to notice. And when we get to the spider, then we have a really lovely metaphor of the weaving and a web. Universe as web. And the idea that we're all connected by something that is very slender and fragile and yet has a certain inherent strength and something that we can't really see or feel unless we bring great sensitivity to the experience. This metaphor of the weaving and the web is combined then with notions of breath and thought, the swaying and the song, And there's a suggestion here that all of these are part of the creation process and that, in fact, creation is a process. It's not something that happens with an immediate snap of the fingers. Now, this is a story about the creation of the cosmos, but as a human creation, um, this is a description of, of how the process works generally. And I love that it's a process. And I'm, I'm also curious about the fact that a couple of extra steps are required in the creation and enlivening of the human beings. I sort of wonder about that. And I don't have any answers for you about why that is. In fact, if you have some theories, I'd be really interested to hear them. But what I take from that is that some things are a little bit more work than others. And what is sufficient to bring one set of things into being may not be sufficient for another set of things. And I know that when I look at my own creative activities, which I don't mean to equate with the universe, but hey, um, there is that variation.
So another thing that I just invite you to notice is what the these powers want to bring into the world once they've got the outlines. Dancing, for example. There's a certain emphasis I have noticed in Native American creation mythologies on the necessity of laughter and singing and making love. There's a certain joy in the world and this sense that by being joyful in the world, we're helping to keep it going. This story is full of appreciation for the beauty of the world and the unique character of the other creatures that are in the world. But it assigns a special place to human beings, which, again, is to be expected in a human-made creation story that has as one of its goals, conscious or not, the affirmation of human life and its significance and import. After everything else is done, Spider Woman says to Tawa, let us make creatures like ourselves. Does that remind you of anything? (laughs) This is a story that tells us that we have a lot of power in the world and that we're made in the image of our gods. As Joseph Campbell observed, that is one of the truths that is buried sometimes very deeply and sometimes right on the surface of most of our mythologies that that we are what we seek that the universe is a macrocosm of us thou art that and then just to wrap this part up we observe too that Humans then enter the stream of history and start to screw things up. Things go wrong. Although in this story, there's a suggestion that it's not only that human beings forget that they are connected by the web, but also that the world as it develops becomes more complicated and the need for things that weren't necessarily anticipated in the original creation have to be retrieved or co-created with Grandmother Spider when she comes back with the people. And I'll, I'll end my, my list here of things that I like about the story with that. The idea that this mythology is open-ended because we have here the realization that there will be a need for other infusions of this kind of divine creative energy and wisdom and that it is available to us. So before we leave today, I want to tell you another Native American creation story that I really like. This one is Apache. The for the story is Brother David Stendhal Rast. And I don't really have an official name for this one. I just always call it The Dog and the Creator. Dog was going around with Creator. Everywhere he went, Dog went and watched all that he did. When Creator finished one job and moved on to another, 
The dog went too. Are you going to stay around here all the time? asked the dog. Or will you have to go away? Well, perhaps someday I shall have to live far away, said Creator. Then, Grandfather, will you make me a companion? asked the dog. So Creator lay down on the ground. Draw a line around me with your paw, he said. So dog scratched an outline in the earth all around the great Creator. Creator got up and looked at it. Go a little way off and don't look, he said. The dog went off a little way. In a few minutes, he looked. Oh, someone is lying where you were lying, Grandfather. Go along and don't look, said Creator. The dog went a little farther, but in a few minutes, he looked. Someone is sitting there, Grandfather, he said. Turn around and walk further off, said Creator. The dog obeyed. At last, Creator called the dog. Now you can look, he said. Oh, Grandfather, he moves, cried the dog in delight. So they stood by the man and looked him over. Pretty good, said Creator. Oh, he's wonderful, said the dog. Creator went behind the man and lifted him to his feet. Put out your foot, he said. Walk. Do this. So the man walked. Run, said Creator. And again he had to give a little demonstration. But the man ran. Now, said Creator, talk. But the man said nothing. Four times, Creator told the man to talk. Say words, he said. Finally, the man said words. He spoke. Now shout, said Creator. He gave a big yell himself and showed the man how. The man shouted. What else, he said. Creator thought a minute. Laugh, he said. Laugh, 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 laugh. Then the man laughed. The dog was very happy when the man laughed. He jumped up on him and ran off a little and ran back and jumped up on him again. He kept jumping up on him the way dogs do today when they are full of love and delight. The man laughed and laughed. Now you are fit to live, said Creator. So the man went off with his dog. Another story that puts us in relationship to other beings. This time no thread, but the dog was part of our creative process. Now I know I have a lot of friends out there who are dog owners who love this story for that purpose. And I have to say that I try and imagine how this would go down if cats were involved as I live with two cats. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for today. I hope you've enjoyed the story. Next week, I'm going to have a really special treat for you. I have invited my friend from the Joseph Campbell Foundation, Stephen Geringer, to tell a story. 
And Stephen is just a delightful human being, and you're going to have a lot of fun with whatever he comes up with. So I hope you'll tune in next week for that. If you have questions about today's program or mythology in general, you can find Myth in the Mojave on Facebook or feel free to email me at mythicmojo at gmail.com. And remember, if you have any ideas about why it took extra steps to create human beings versus the other creatures, I would be most curious to hear them. Please consider yourself invited to the High Desert Mythological Roundtable, which will meet next on the last Tuesday in August, which is the 27th. We meet from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Radio Free Joshua Tree Listening Lounge. It's free. We just ask for donation for Radio Free Joshua Tree and the Joseph Campbell Foundation. And we'll be talking about and telling part of the story of Homer's Odyssey, an epic poem that's been a project of ours for the better part of this year. Special thanks to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music, to Rags and Bones for producing this show, and most of all to you for listening. Before I send you on your way for this week, I want to share this one comment from Brother David Stendhal-Rost about holiness and religious experience and mystery. Encounter with mystery, he said, is our basic religious experience. It is our confrontation with the holy, with the power beyond our comprehension, which challenges us and to which we yet feel akin. Please tune in next week. And in the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive. Mm-hmm.